Hello, this is Benjamin Zephaniah, and you'll know me as a poet, musician, general commentator, and a black bloke of Peaky Blinders. I'm also an activist, and I really care about people. So, thanks for listening to this episode of Challenging by Shelter. Before you hear more about the brilliant lead worker peer mentor service, I have a favour to ask. If you're enjoying this podcast, as a shelter supporter, I'd be really grateful if you rated and reviewed it wherever you like listening to podcasts. Doing so helps even more supporters and even more housing and support professionals hear about the brilliant work Shelter is doing to help fight homelessness. So, thanks for listening, and now, let's get back to the episode. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Challenging, a new podcast by Shelter, reflecting on an ambitious and life-changing service run with Birmingham Changing Futures Together that helped people with multiple and complex needs out of homelessness. In this final episode, wrapping up the series, we ask, now what are you going to do about it? We brought back some people you've heard previously on the podcast to tell us what they think could and should happen next. Carly from Cypher Fireside, Learning and Evaluation Coordinator Jan, Amy, Service Manager for the Lead Worker Peer Mental Service, Natalie, the Programmes Director for Birmingham Changing Futures Together, Lead Worker Christine, and Colette and Lee, who you'll be very familiar with by now if you've listened to the rest of the podcast. As well as taking in what they say, we really encourage you to challenge yourself and think about what you could do in your life to influence change. Okay, now we've just discussed all about how people struggle to engage with services and multiple and complex needs, and we've covered some of the issues. What are you going to do about it? For us, what we want to do about it is we want to continue to see at least one or two of our clients, you know, people that have used our service, that have had move on, coming through our organisation as employees and getting career development. I think that's, you know, for us, that's just such a big thing. We want to lead by example and we tell everybody, you know, how important it is to participate in things like this to ensure that there are routes and there are opportunities for people that have been through challenging times to recover and uh, and our commitment has got to be to continue to see a couple of people at least every year coming through our employment pathway where even if that's not peer mentor you know it could be other roles in our organization but making sure that that is loud and clear Uh, and very, very much central to to how we deliver our vision at Cypher. What are the systems change that need to take place? Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, from the learning and evaluation side of things, for me, it's just making sure that we continue to spread that learning, good practice, things that worked really well, and continue to speak to commissioners and to service providers to make sure they're fully aware of the things that have come out of these four and a half years of, of learning, I guess. One of the biggest thing that came out was the employment of people with lived experience, really. Um, 
that's probably the biggest influence on the clients and the clients' engagement and getting successful outcomes for those clients and, and organizations, obviously. From speaking to all the clients and the organizations, it, 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 was peer, it was the peer mentors that got those clients engaged and kept them engaged. There's such a large number of people that are you know, actively avoiding support due to you know, previous mistrust fear of support services, historic difficulties, being excluded, disengaging with services. So to me, you know, services need a way to re-engage with this group of people. And the learning that's come out of this whole program is that happens through lived experience. So I think that'll probably be my number, my number one, if anything. I guess secondly, systemically, I think, you know, I, I see a system as being a group of organizations which I think need to work together a lot more and look at a client holistically is another key thing that needs to change. I think that can be done both from like the commissioning point of view to require organisations to, to come together and look at the person as a whole and to link all of their support packages together. But also, you know, I think individual organisations can also take responsibility for that approach and look at the way they communicate with each other, share information. When you said that about four independent agencies trying to support somebody with four separate care plans, I pictured a client in the middle and four agencies, like two with arms and two with legs pulling. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes it, it, that, that's. I think that's how a lot of the clients see it. You know what I mean? They're being pulled in, pulled in different directions, aren't they? As we know from speaking to clients, they're all so interlinked with each other. That needs to be brought together to see one sort of support package that is all linked together from those organisations being seen totally separately individual needs being seen individually just it just it's just not working for certainly for our client group the client group we're talking about here anyway together and in a coordinated fashion that's the key thing to me more so than any sort of computer system or any or phone system or anything like that it is just looking systemically at a client support and realizing that all of those recovery paths are all overlapping and all need to sort of lean on each other to work effectively. The only thing I, the only other thing I think could be done as far as a systems change and, and, and the systemic look at um, how organisations work would be altering the way that, that I think they should be based on the needs of that person, not on the specific structure of the service themselves. Mm-hmm. So they should work with the client and the different staff members to create an effective support package really and we need to realize that you know not one size does not fit all certainly within our the lead worker peer mentor client group the fact that you're asking the clients to mold themselves around the the structure and opening hours and locations and all that sort of stuff of the support services just needs to be totally swiveled around on its head to, so that the support services need to bend and shape themselves around the person i think that needs to be another way that that the system needs to be changed as far as sort of best practice goes, I think clearly the, the paid peer mentors having a paid person with lived experience that are happy to discuss that lived experience and that is part of their role, I think is crucial. You know, the abs- the, our peer mentors absolutely engaged clients, they inspired clients, they gave confidence to our clients, they challenged existing protocols. I think that is really good best practice. As I say, I think the lead worker holistic wraparound support approach, I think is best practice and something that can be picked up really quickly. Removing expulsions wherever possible. The, f- the fact that if you miss a few appointments and you send the client back to square one, 
that's got to be terrible for the client and obviously not good for an organization as well. You know, if, if an organization has already invested a certain amount of time and money into a client and then they don't happen to turn up a few times, so you send them right back to the start of the queue, right back to the start of, of their recovery program just seems ludicrous. You know, for both parties, you know, we had, we had clients disengaging numerous times before making really positive outcomes, trying to remove tight timescales. And the lead worker peer mentor service has proven results in removing those, um, those deadlines and timeframes and expulsion criteria and allowing the, the service user, the client, to pay, play an active part in their recovery package to make sure it works for them, to make sure that they're ready to receive support at that time. It just, it, it, it makes it so, so much more efficient than continually going around a revolving door. You know, I, I sit here and I, and I listen and, and um, like everybody talks about the, the peer mentor and the lived experience. And I guess what I don't want is for people to misconstrue that. But what we need to understand is that we have uh, support workers in place. So all we're saying, we're not saying like, oh, it's this brilliant thing and we need to swap everything. But it's the, it's the one element that's missing in a lot of organisations, isn't it? You know, well, I just don't want people to misconstrue and think, well, oh, what's all this? It, it is, it's definitely a joint effort, but we're talking about the piece that's missing to, to make that, that like, connection. Absolutely. Uh, and there's some brilliant support workers out there mm. working in mainstream support services. You know, so I'd hate to think that we're sort of saying that they're doing it incorrectly or whatever. You know, what we're talking about is a new way of approaching this particular cohort of clients that have not engaged with services in the way services currently exist. And we simply cannot go on ignoring this group and pretending they're not there. There would always be another voice that, that yeah. maybe, but I mean that was wrong in itself. <laughs> but it, it meant that we got the message across. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, I mean, I think there's been there was like talk of well, does the peer mentor kind of carry weight? And I think we went through all that, don't didn't we? And people even said, is it a name we should be using? We want to change the name. I remember that early on in the service. Yeah, I think because I think because peer mentor, the, the the term peer mentor was being used by a lot of agencies, but it meant different things in different organisations us was so different from everybody else's that I could understand why we thought we should change the name but because we were standout we were like gold standard peer mentors I think yeah, and had... again I think look you said people just thought that a peer mentor meant that you was a volunteer didn't they it wasn't a pay so you're just a you're cuddly volunteer in a support environment <laughs> you know it was almost like snobby it was there was almost like a class system within support that was really sad I've always found that really sad <laughs> so you know but a changing futures peer mentor was something else. And I think people got that in the end because we became the lead model, we became the gold standard and we became what people wanted to replicate in their organisations. And, and that was really positive. And, and I think a big a big part of what we did was that we weren't just employing peer mentors because of lived experience, you know, so that they'd know how to communicate with our clients in a way that we never did. It, 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 it brought you into an environment um, where there were open ears and we would change our practices and we'd take on board what you were saying but also we wanted to nurture you and give you an opportunity to be to continue your careers if that's what you wanted to do beyond that two year beyond that two year period so a large part of what we were doing was around providing I suppose like training and support nurturing to do what you wanted to do 
and that what that meant is when 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 those opportunities and those those sort of areas for promotion came up those opportunities for promotion came up it, it was a level playing field and and you guys were able to apply not because you had the label of a peer mentor but because you had as much experience and skill set as everybody else in that playing field and 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 I really hope that's what we managed to 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 do in a lot of cases is 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 give everyone a, a fighting chance, the same fighting chance, with the idea that hopefully all that experience and all that knowledge combines with that professional experience and we get those voices into management where that change can really happen, that you can be the people that make the change. And that's 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 what I wanted. That was like the goal, if you like, in my head. That, that definitely happened, didn't it? Yes. That I had the option to do training that would, you know, benefit me in the next role. And um, this is what we had. We weren't just there for peer support. We were also there for um, professional, um, what's the word? Development. Professional development. There are lots and lots of things that we've learned through the programme and by kind of grouping them together into a few key areas, I think it really helps to, to maintain um, a bit of focus, particularly when we are asking other people to, to do something or take action. So for me, the, the first thing is really about people with multiple and complex needs, being able to access the right services at the right time. And that sounds so basic and so simple, yet it's the one thing that we know still just doesn't happen as standard. And that within many services, there is still this expectation that service users, particularly people with multiple and complex needs, sort of fit into the services that have been designed and commissioned. So there'll be a service that um, that is set up to do a, a, a particular thing or, or offer a particular kind of support. And then it's just expected that people fit into that criteria, that eligibility, that way of working. But actually, I think we need to see that flipping of it on its head. Like if we're designing services for people, then surely the responsibility is on us as commissioners um, or service providers to provide a service that people can engage with and that people can get something out of um, and not putting the expectation onto those people. We need to dig into that more and look at the reasons why and on what we can be doing better to allow people to actually just access those services that they need in the first place. Um, and I still think that's something that, although there's been so much progress made, it's not standardised. Um, and there's still a lot more work that we can do to make some of those essential, you know, particularly statutory services across things like health and homelessness more accessible for the people that need them most. So I'd say that's definitely one of the key areas. Just listening to your talk then, do you think as um, Birmingham Changing Futures Together and, and, and when it was kind of the Lead Worker Peer Mentor Project came about that there was uh, three independent organisations working together, do you think that makes a difference that when people are putting bids in for commissioning that they, they utilise other organisations around them to work together in the beginning? Yeah, I think um, I think there's definitely a, a move towards partnership working and, and there's certainly a shift um, from what I've witnessed over the last few years where commissioners and providers are recognising the value of, of going out to partnerships. And I think it's that recognition that 
you know, no one service can do it all, particularly when you're talking about multiple and complex needs. The other one, which you will hear me bang on about multiple times, probably in this podcast, um, is the importance of um, having people with lived experience represented in that workforce. If we are delivering services to people who are going through or have been through particular struggles, traumatic experiences or situations, then we know now through our evidence that people with lived experience are able to offer something unique in that workforce and and will improve engagement rates and and offer a a completely different kind of support um, to work with that client group. And I just want to see so much more of of that within the workforce. What would you think the, the top best practices would be to be adopted? Ah, yeah. So I think when I'm looking particularly at the lead worker peer mental model, I think it did a lot of these things. And and I think there there is a lot of learning to be had from why that service was so successful in engaging with a group of people that other services historically had not been able to, to, to keep hold of. Um, and maintain contact with and I think that the Lead Worker Peer Mental Service is a great example of how to do some of these things but strangely enough I also think that um, COVID show, showed us that services actually have the ability to do these things as well. Some of the things that I've already kind of said are the ability to make sure that services can be accessed in a in a wider variety of ways so all of a sudden we were offering different kinds of services different kinds of support different mechanisms you were finding that services were all of a sudden available via telephone you know 24 7 rather than just kind of like nine to five like people are were open at weekends a much more kind of different attitude in terms of how services could be delivered to make sure that people could gain access. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, And I think that, as I said, there was like a greater range of options. So it wasn't felt that it was just kind of like a one size fits all approach. There were um, some really kind of flexible and and different ways of offering services that that meant that service users felt that they had like a greater element of choice um, in how they received that support. One of the the key bits of feedback that I got, which I found um, refreshing because it's something that I get sick of hearing all the time, is when people say like, oh, but you you, you have to go here for nine o'clock or you have to turn up to that appointment every two weeks or if you want to stay in this accommodation, you have to do blah, blah, blah. And I got some feedback from one of our partners that said all of a sudden this concept of having to do something had disappeared and, it, and, and instead it was like, okay, we don't have to go to the job centre every fortnight to sign on. You know, we don't have to go and pick up our script. All of a sudden we've got responsibility to manage that ourselves over a much longer period of time. And it was really interesting how all of a sudden these things that we put in place to kind of monitor people were all of a sudden sort of flexed and I think that the service users responded much better to being given that level of trust and responsibility and I think that word trust is really important I would like to see a much bigger focus on the trust that we have between sort of professionals and service users and the trust that we have in service users rather than kind of having an expectation that they won't do things or they can't do things and and giving them that um, and, and seeing how well people will respond to being trusted. And sort of along the same lines as that, I think we noticed that people were treated with a lot more dignity. I think certainly for me, as I said, there was that flexibility and that freedom to adapt. All of a sudden, services were told, do whatever it takes. So if we take like the homelessness situation as one, all of a sudden the direction from, you know, like national um, government was, might well, get everybody in. And all of a sudden we, we were able to get everybody in or, you know, everybody had an offer to, to, 
to be in and to be housed during the pandemic and services were given that freedom to do whatever it took and it just makes you think sometimes well if that's possible why can't we do that sort of all the time so so we're here talking to a lot of commissioners and and organisations and saying, come on board with this, this is why. But I mean, so, so your average Joe that might just kind of walking down the street be listening to this podcast, you know, what, what would your suggestion be to, to how they could kind of help with, with, with multiple and complex needs and people in them situations? Yeah, I agree with Jan so much. I'd want to have like an hour-long conversation. Uh, But if there was one thing that I had to say, I think it would be just to get people to recognise that people with multiple and complex needs aren't people that have have done this to themselves, which I think is the stigma that comes with with what we see. And I I would want them to understand that anybody could find themselves in that situation. Anybody could find themselves um, homeless with a substance misuse issue, um, struggling. And, you know, it could could start to spiral. Uh, Sorry, Lee, hold on. I'm going to give you this answer again. Your mummy's at the front door. Do you want to go and grab her? And I'll put your film on in a minute. Sorry, Lee. Okay. Do you want me to start that answer completely again? It's up to you. I mean, I, I might find some fun with these things, Natalie, and leave them in and say, you know, this is what it's like working from home. Easy. This is life working from home with children. <laughs> um, anybody could potentially find themselves in this situation, um, but that some people are at a higher risk than others. And people who live in poverty, people who are unemployed, people that have underlying mental health conditions, et cetera, et cetera, are much more likely to end up in a situation where their life has completely spiraled out of control. And and that is not a choice. That is because the needs that those individuals have our system, our city, our, our, our country at the minute, it doesn't respond well to help them in lots of cases. Um, they, they haven't known how to respond to help them. Um, and and there's still that real stigma around this group that I would love to see gone with a bit more understanding of the journeys that some people um, have been on to get where they get to, but also an understanding of the journeys people have taken to get out of it and how incredible so many of the individuals are that I have met doing this job and I have been so privileged to to work alongside who have lived that life and have um, dealt with those things and have received support and in some cases are still receiving support and have gone back into work and the difference they have now made to other people's life to my life to to other professionals lives and to their own lives is is phenomenal and and there are people that I work with now who I will for the rest of my life have a lot to thank for because they've taught me things and they've educated me and and they have really shaped the way that we've gone about this piece of work and even when someone is sort of down and out if you like don't forget the potential within that person okay so the, the, it's not the it's not the free studios any so the people <laughs> the people behind the actual uh, scenes that have kind of developed a lot of this stuff uh, so Christine uh, the team leader we've got Colette um, hello who's another development officer along with myself what this final episode says it's it's a call to action and it says okay so, so what are you going to do Let, let's start with with Christine so if if for people listening Christine what would you say what what would you like them to do 
one thing that, that I suppose we're not going to get on this episode, um, but which is equally important, is what the clients think people should do now. Um, and the only thing I can think of is is Lee when we were talking with Cleve, who's peer mentor for L and D, and one of his clients were there, and we were talking about putting together a peer mentoring mentoring course for the recovery college and we were asking this particular client what is it that you felt that you benefited from this what worked what didn't work and the thing that really struck me is what he said was with the support he was getting now he felt that his worker actually wanted to engage with him Mm. and I thought that was so interesting because how often have we heard people say they don't want to engage they don't want to engage they don't want to engage but I don't think I've ever heard a service go do you want to engage with them Are you doing everything you can to engage with them? I think what's really struck me about the whole of the lead worker peer mentor service, when I think about it and its impact, um, what I keep on coming back to is the fact that over that four and a half years, we supported 323 people. And that's 323 people that weren't already receiving support from any service that had multiple and complex needs a lot of them rough sleeping on the street and severe mental health issues and a lot of physical health issues substance misuse in and out of prison and that's 323 people's lives that we intervened in and hopefully improved in some way but we didn't solve the problem we haven't solved multiple and complex needs in Birmingham that issue still exists and there's new people coming through every single day that are are developing multiple and complex needs that are out on the streets Um, and there just isn't that service in place to support those individuals so we're at risk of of being right back at the same levels of individuals experiencing multiple and complex needs that we were before the lead worker peer mentor service so i think what needs to change um, essentially is that services need to when they're commissioning services or when they're writing bids for services or when they're delivering services always have the back of their mind how can i be inclusive of someone's multiple and complex needs what have we got in our service that's a barrier to people accessing it and how can we amend it? And it doesn't have to be changing your whole entire service. It could be a small thing that you could tweak, but I think it needs to be a consideration every single service across Birmingham because when it's not, it's not just a case of someone spending a bit longer in the streets, someone not getting medic- the medication they need. It's, it's people die. People die very early and before their time because they haven't been able to access the services they need. And and I don't think in this day and age, that's a message that any organisation wants to send out. What am I going to do? I'd like to keep lobbying. I would bring in my experience, not only my lived experience, but the experience um, of supporting people with multiple and complex needs to services and commissioners. What really is a lead worker? They're more than just a support worker. These are support workers who've had vision and passion for years, but have been stifled, obviously, by their contract. Um, I don't think there's a service that holistically looks at the client's needs other than the one that they're employed to do. And that's sad because, as we've learned, and as you can see from our statistics, a full wraparound holistic plan and measures work far better than this silo method. So what am I going to do? You know, we, we've proved that this project uh, set up the way it is with experience of 
support work and, and lived experience combined is a perfect match to support multiple and complex needs and it works. But what I would love to see now is, I, I think another thing that the programme evidenced is that anybody that we dealt with from multiple and complex needs it didn't get there, you know, by magic. It was a traumatic uh, beginning to life. I think if we was to look at now, rather than uh, crisis management, because that's what our role was, let's have it right, that's what we was doing, managing crisis. That if we was to look a bit further back and try and prevent some of this, so, you know, influencing at a younger age in schools and, and peer mentors to be implemented into schools to kind of spot like, the early problems and try and prevent people kind of having to spend 20 years of their life, you know, living, you know, in, in degradation. Do you think Colette as well, and, and Lee, um, and it's something I've definitely learned, is that whatever job role I'm kind of going to go on to or do, that I'm always going to take that ethos of the lead work peer mentor service with me. And if yourself, Colette and you, Lee, do the same, then in that sense, on a personal level, we could make some change, and I hope we continue to. Thank you for listening and thank you so much to everyone who contributed their time and expertise, not only to this podcast, but to the Lead Worker Peer Mentor Service. A special thank you to the famous shelter supporters who lent their voices to the podcast. Benjamin Zephaniah, Julie Walters, Robert Rinder, Nikki Amuka Bird, Russell Brand and Adam Kay. Challenging was created and produced by shelter colleagues Christine Grover, Lee Dimitriou, Colette Carter, Tora Sutherland and Becky Brynoff. To find out more about the Lead Worker Peer Mentor Service, check our show notes for a link to the full social cost benefit analysis or visit changingfuturesbham.co.uk forward slash our dash work and then have a look for the Lead Worker Peer Mentor continuation strategy and from there you can navigate to the full evaluation. Thanks for listening. <laughs>